Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Nancy Knowlton is the co-founder and CEO of Nareva Inc., an award-winning technology company that builds audio conferencing solutions that support hybrid meetings and learning experiences. There are many important elements to effective learning and collaboration. The ability to hear clearly is one of those important issues that can easily be ignored when we think about innovative ways of learning and working. However, Nareva addresses this important issue with an innovative patented technology called Microphone Mist technology that fills a space with thousands of virtual microphones to provide full room audio pickup and truly enable remote participation. Prior to founding Nareva, Nancy was the CEO of Smart Technologies Inc., which she co-founded in 1987 with her husband David Martin in Calgary, Canada. One of the iconic products that they created was the SmartBoard, the interactive whiteboard that changed the way people work and learn around the world in millions of meeting rooms and classrooms. Over the years, Smart Technologies grew to a global company with annual revenues of just under $800 million. Nancy has received numerous awards, including Canada Woman Entrepreneur of the Year. And in 2015, she received the C21 Shifting Minds National Award for her distinctive achievements in 21st century learning and innovation. Thank you very much, Nancy, for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Very early in my career as an educator and being involved with schools, when smart boards came in, I remember interacting with them and the amazing learning opportunities it provided for the classroom. So I'm absolutely thrilled that you decided to come and discuss both smart and also your new company and the new technology that you've developed. Thank you very much for being on the show. Perfect. Thank you. I mentioned in the introduction about Nureva and the fact that it really enhances the listening. And this is such an important aspect, which often is overlooked, I think, in the in the way that we integrate new technologies into the classroom and also into the workplace, because we're always thinking about what's new and how can we make it more interesting. But we forget about the fact that if I don't hear you, uh, I feel very disconnected. And I had that experience many times. Can you tell me what problem did you set out to really solve with this entire technology? I think the audio problem was uh, something that we experienced pretty much every day uh, at SMART. We were always uh, in conference calls, video calls, and the audio was uh, something that just had us saying, could you repeat that? Um, Sorry, I can't really hear that. Could you move closer uh, to uh, the phone? And you know, it was just one aggravation after another. And given the amount of communication that we did with uh, remote parties, uh, we just found that whole experience exhausting. And yes. as we looked at it, we said, this is a problem that needed to be solved. So when we started uh, Nareva, we actually started with people, not a problem. We had very good people who were interested in joining us 
to try to figure out how to solve a problem. And we landed on the collaboration uh, problem in a couple of different ways. And one of those ways was um, how audio could be enhanced. And, you know, I would say that a lot of people thought the really interesting, sexy, new uh, way of communicating was with video. But if you think about uh, collaboration, there's really three elements. There's audio, uh, video, and data. And we always put audio head and shoulders above the other two forms, because if you can't hear, you can't communicate. And that has been well known in uh, classrooms where a lot of uh, children were early on designated as, you know, having trouble learning. And really what they had was a hearing uh, disability or, you know, mild hearing loss or some such thing. So that audio part of communication, we thought, had been maybe put on the back burner where some technologies had been developed uh, and people kind of thought that that was state of the art good enough. That's interesting, isn't it? Because as you said, uh, having a hearing problem or simply because the room is set up in such a way that someone can't hear or can't see, these really inhibit learning and often are very much overlooked. And also they completely break up the cohesion of a group working together in, a, in an adult setting. It also has a terrible impact. It's, it's really hard to be involved or have your voice heard if you can't actually hear everyone and you kind of pull back a little That's bit right. um, in that. Yeah. So it is incredibly important. Have you seen this issue change in any way? I mean, you started the company before the pandemic started. Has there been anything that you noticed when so many people are working from home and school is often happening online? Did this problem somehow change in some way that you're looking at it? I think that uh, it did. And I think it really has highlighted a few things and the need for uh, flexibility and adaptability. Uh, I don't know what your experience was, but we literally went home one day and we've not come back to the office uh, in the 22 months that have passed. Uh, for us, that was March 13th, uh, and we pretty much all went home. Now, we have a few select groups of staff who've been in the office, some of our testers who need access to specialized tools, some of our salespeople, and other people needing resources that they only had available to them in the office, but the rest of us have gone home. And I would say some of the accelerants there uh, were, hey, we can do this. You know, kind of when you face any uh, problem, your first inclination, I would say, is we got to get through this, let's adapt. So I think the pendulum swung in one direction where I felt I was in either Zoom or Microsoft Teams meetings all day long, and I got to the end of the day so exhausted. So I've become in the period of time much more discriminating about meetings and needing uh, time to work. But I think on the IT organizational front, uh, it was a wake-up call. Hey, we better be ready and not just rely on the good intentions of everybody. Let's put all of the tools and technologies in place. So computers had to be upgraded. 
audio systems, video uh, systems, tool sets needed to be put into people's hands. But I think that adaptation has, has been fairly uh, easily accomplished. On the post-secondary front, I think it's made a, a couple of points when students all had to go home. And that is that really learning, for the most part, can take place anywhere. So do you really need to be in the classroom or can you listen in from uh, your dorm or whatever? And so I think it's changed expectations about where and how you do certain things. And I think we were uh, headed in a direction, but this has much more rapidly accelerated movements in those directions. Absolutely. It definitely has. And we'll uh, talk about that in a second. But before we do, I just wanted to ask you if you can describe for people who have never seen Nuriva and the technology, which you called the microphone mist, uh, which you've patented. Can you describe exactly what this is like? Okay, I'll start out by telling you that first, um, all of the audio products that are in the market, sort of the big names in, um, in audio, they're all based on a technology that's been around for a while, beamforming. And yes, it, it works well in certain regards, but in larger uh, spaces, it's a, a little more challenging. And particularly as you think about um, people perhaps moving around or being spread in uh, fully around um, a room. So when we created microphone mist technology, the idea was not to have microphones steered in certain uh, directions, sort of preset locations where people would be seated at a table, but rather we wanted to flood the entire room, sort of think about sort of rectangular room. We wanted to flood that whole space with virtual microphones so that no matter where somebody was located, or how they might move around the room or have multiple people speak at the same time, their voices would be picked up. So a very different uh, technology approach than beamforming. And as it turns out, it is, I'll say this, it might be a little exaggeration, but it's a perfect solution in the education uh, space where you might have questions coming from students um, at the side or the back of the classroom. The teacher might move around uh, the space or in a higher education environment, the teacher might um, move back and forth across uh, the front of the classroom. Fantastic. It enables people to act naturally and still be able to really hear and engage. But what does this look like in terms of the hardware? It's, from what I've seen, it's a, it's a yes. bar. It's a, it's a bar that you put at the front of the room. It, it looks like it's very easy to install and doesn't, doesn't take up much space. It Is doesn't. that correct? Uh, you know, it's up uh, out of the way. It's on the wall, two screws on the wall. And really uh, you've got the system installed. Um, our most popular unit is called the HDL 300. It's about five feet wide, and it will uh, pick up uh, voices in roughly a 25 by 25 uh, space. That's what we say. We do have customers who put it into larger spaces 
and they've said that it functions uh, really quite well there. So if you think about a typical um, classroom, it will pick up audio throughout that entire space or in a larger um, uh, room and say post-secondary, you can put two of the systems together and a, a dual oh. HDL 300 will pick up a space about 30 by 50. Okay. Wow. Fantastic. That is really great. And I'm sure a lot of people are already thinking this would be wonderful, especially as we go into a more hybrid, not necessarily just online, but into a hybrid mode of learning and working so that we can always include people who are in another place or just simply can't, uh, can't come into the, into the physical space. So speaking about hybrid, uh, you touched on this a little bit. I mean, before the pandemic, especially in schools, but also in the workplace, I think, but in schools especially, there was a, for a long time an advocacy for the positive things that educational technologies can provide. And of course, you were very much at the center of that with smart boards and the smart technologies, uh, which have been used around the world and continue to be used. And all of the wonderful ways that technology can help learning there's been an uptake, but there's also been some hesitation. And now people were thrown into the deep end. Now everyone had to pick up those technologies or whatever technology they had to make online happen. It seems like the pendulum might have swung very much the other way, where people were becoming, were starting to think positively and embrace technology. There's a lot of talk about people saying, I don't ever want to do online school again. I don't want to work from home anymore. Some people do, some people don't. But there seems to be this swing away from the technology, which is unfair because there is still and even more so a lot of positives that can be added to the school and to the workplace. Can you tell me a little bit about this, what you think about it and also what's missing in this conversation? You know, it was such a harsh transition to uh, mm -hmm. virtual. And to be clear, I think a lot of responsibility was put onto teachers' uh, shoulders to kind of keep education going. And in fairness as well, look what it did to parents and to children. It forced yes. them into isolation. A lot of parents made very hard decisions about having to either quit their jobs or reduce their uh, roles and uh, responsibilities. And a lot of that fell onto uh, mothers and uh, I'm very sensitive uh, to that because it did set back a lot of uh, progress for women in the workplace who just could not sacrifice their uh, children's uh, learning uh, during the pandemic. You know, the, the people who now are saying, hey, it's gotta be in-person, face-to-face or nothing, they come from the harsh reality of what they were yes. thrust into. So I fully uh, respect that. The part that may be missing in that discussion is what the benefits are of distance uh, education. And I phrase it very carefully like that uh, to differentiate between hybrid, because hybrid um, I think has got this negative connotation in a lot of people's minds where, hey, kids can decide if they're going to stay home today and uh, attend class or, or not. And there's, there's nothing really uh, that functions like a, a, an ad hoc decision like that for, um, for distance education. 
Distance education, to um, my way of thinking, offers the benefit of being remote, but connected into a student's normal classroom with the normal uh, teacher. And so perhaps the student has a sick family member and the whole family has to isolate. You know, a lot of people are saying we're going to live with COVID and schools do not want exposed or ill children uh, coming into the school building. Maybe they've broken a leg, maybe they need to travel to visit a sick uh, grandparent. Um, So how might those temporary and fairly short duration absences from school be managed and distance education can sort of pick up sort of that in-person learning aspect where the uh, student still has connection in with their class for a short duration. There's also well-publicized teacher shortages. I read an article a couple of months ago that in the state of Florida, they're short 5,000 teachers. If you say it fast, it doesn't sound like very much, but that's a lot of children who do not have a qualified teacher at the front of their classroom. So do you put lots more uh, students into every classroom and kind of have them bursting at the seams? Or maybe a distance aspect could be managed within a district, within a state or province where one teacher manages not only an in-person classroom, but a remote uh, classroom as well. And that also might be the case where there's a substitute teacher uh, shortage. So I think in some limited short duration or maybe even longer duration where you know, it's been, um, I would say distance education has been providing qualified uh, teachers into areas where, you know, they're sparsely uh, populated. So how does, you know, a, a student get all of the physics classes when there's no physics teacher in uh, the district. Well, distance education can close that gap as well. So limited experiences, limited scenarios, I think can be well supported by distance education. Absolutely. And in order to make it work, because it has been very hard and teachers were thrown into the deep end when online learning came, But really, it doesn't have to be that way. Of course, support and training are key factors that all learning technologists uh, have been really advocating for for a very, very long time and saying how important it is. Of course, that did not happen at the beginning of the pandemic. So what kind of support do you think is really needed for teachers in order to be able to do this well? So first of all, I think that the technologies that are chosen need to be ones that actually fit the task. Early on in the pandemic, I think a lot of um, IT managers were willing to just take anything. Give give me something, let me get that in front of uh, the teacher. And I think that was probably a good choice. But if you have the time to sit back and say, if something like this happens again, or if um, we need to support some aspect of uh, distance education, what are the tools that are going to match the requirements that teachers have 
in the classroom. You know, I'll just digress for a moment and say one of the things that I uh, think made the smart board uh, very successful in education uh, was that it was a transitional technology. And by that, I mean that it didn't force the teacher to do a lot of things differently. You know, the teacher could still be at the front of uh, the room and interacting in a natural way with the tool. So you need to really think about how teachers uh, go about uh, their task. And if you Mm -hmm. overload them, with complicated uh, technologies or things that have them applying too much of their brain power to other technology-related tasks, it's going to fail. It's too hard for them. They need to focus their attention on their students. And so choosing the right technology is probably the, the first foundational step. And you see that happening so often when there's implementations of new technology and people get very excited about it and they miss the aspect of thinking about it as, is this going to be like a window or is it going to be more like a brick wall? Because if you're putting a lot of attention on how do I work around making this technology fit, you're not really paying attention to what the intended purpose of doing your job is. Uh, So it needs to be in line with your practice, with your workflow, and to facilitate it, but not to inhibit it, which is such an important thing to consider. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, one of the other aspects that I would say needs to uh, be considered is uh, something that we've taken very much to heart in a new product uh, that we're developing for specifically for uh, the classroom. And we spoke to a lot of higher ed, IT uh, directors, and also K to 12 teachers and IT directors. And we really focused on this ease of use and really helping um, the teacher. And so it might sound like a a small or trivial um, aspect, but it's not. And it's giving the teacher the the window. I like how you describe that, kind of a a window to remote uh, students. And so we've got a a whole uh, solution, audio and uh, video uh, for the classroom. And the video camera is not embedded with the audio system. That's really important because you can put the video camera on a different wall where it's easy and natural as the teacher is working maybe at her Mm -hmm. smart board to just look at the camera to the remote students you know eye contact that physical connection with students is incredibly important now you can't get the same sort of physicality with the teacher moving around the classroom but you can make eye contact with remote students call on their name and and part of embedding the use of the technology in the classroom is just giving teachers the time to experience it and to feel comfortable speaking to the video camera, very deliberately speaking the student's name and saying, what do you think uh, about this? And so 
you'd like to think that that would come naturally, but it doesn't, you know, just give them mm. the opportunity to do that. Talk to them about how you're going to set up the technology in the classroom and let them practice that on their own and talk to each other about what they're finding in their experience. Yes. So incredibly important. I mean, that exactly what you just described. So often in, in the implementation of technologies, this aspect is missing. They pr People provide the professional development and they miss these final touches, particularly, as you said, giving the opportunity for it to the people, the teachers, the professionals who are going to be using the technology to talk to each other. And that seems trivial, but it's so critical. And in fact, I found in my own research that that is the pin that holds it all together. Everything else goes to waste. All the money on professional development goes to waste simply because if colleagues cannot discuss it, don't have the opportunity to discuss it, their challenges, their, their ideas, learn from each other, it just makes it, it just makes it fall it, apart. Yeah, it really does. You know, it's funny. Um, I think uh, in the pandemic as well, it was rush, rush, rush. We've got to get this done. And I think mm -hmm. that may have been part of uh, the problem. The urgency destroyed some of the learning and thinking, yes. you know, whether it's in teacher led instruction or all online. You know, just because you say it should be so doesn't make it so. You need time and support and attention to embed these practices. Absolutely. You've spoken before about your experiences as a university lecturer, and you've taught at university, and you've really also been a huge advocate for saying that training of educators and teaching them how to teach with technologies is absolutely crucial. What are some of the key pedagogies and strategies that you would suggest to teachers and educators, also educators do workplace learning? What do you think that are some key strategies maybe they, they can Yeah, embed? you know, I think um, learning how uh, actually to talk to a camera and include a remote uh, cohort, whether it's a single person or multiple uh, remote students at a time, how, how to include them in the classroom. You know, there's a lot of writing about how hard it has been for teachers to have in-person and remote. Well, it's hard because nobody's helped them. Nobody has uh, supported them, suggested practices to them, or given them uh, the time to learn that. And so including a remote cohort in class takes a little bit of time uh, to learn. So giving them the time to experience that and to try it out, giving them real life circumstances. Okay, try this classroom uh, setup, see what this is like, walk around and see it, and maybe have a group of other teachers at the remote end. And so it could just be two side-by-side -side, uh, classrooms and let them just uh, see what that is like. I've heard uh, some teachers saying, oh, I, I don't want to be uh, shown on video. Well, you actually are live in front of your students all the time. <laughs> so, you know, just calm down. Don't worry about it. But where does that calm come from? It comes from experience and 
you know, debriefing with your colleagues. So for me, it's time and experience. Absolutely. That is very true. It is funny because as you said, people are standing up in front of their entire class and are perfectly comfortable. But as soon as you put that into a video camera, you feel very differently. So practice definitely makes makes a huge difference. And also you, you mentioned engagement and bringing people in and engaging the online learners as well. Are there one or two strategies that you think are particularly helpful in creating that engagement? You, you, you did mention looking into the camera and having that virtual eye contact. Yeah, you know, it's funny um, little uh, suggestion, but it's the opportunity for the students to connect at the start of the class. What would be wrong with taking three to five minutes to say, oh, hi, uh, Susie, how's everything going with your broken leg? You know, are you feeling okay? You know, allow for some of that human connection, human interaction. Let the classmates talk to each other and then get down to business. I know it may sound like, hey, you're wasting valuable teaching time. But it's not wasted if you can bring in that whole class experience and have the children in person and remote feel like they're one group. Yes. And it's interesting, again, isn't it? Because this is actually something that happens when we all walk into classroom or a boardroom or a meeting room. We, We have those, you know, very casual tiny conversations, which starts to create that comfort level. And we don't even notice it. We don't even notice we're asking, oh, how was your day yesterday? And how was your trip? But online, you have to orchestrate that much more consciously. And the the educator has to orchestrate that. You do. And, you know, it's something I think that we all have to uh, remember. And that is the humanness of the engagement and uh, connection is really part of the magic and we can't rush that we can't discount it now it's not going to be all consuming but a small amount of that it's just it just makes for that much better an experience whether you're children or adults we all do it naturally uh, in person so taking the time Uh, to do that when there are remote participants is even more important. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. So you spoke a little bit about moving forward, why it's important to still have hybrid when people cannot be physically in the in the space with everyone else. But in terms of the online components, and, uh, and of course, there's the times when it's not possible to be there. So it's important to have that also. What aspects do you think, apart from the fact when people cannot be there physically, what aspects of online learning and remote work do you think we should really hold on to and develop further as we move back into the physical spaces? Because there are certainly a lot of benefits to yeah. this. You know, I uh, I think that there are a couple of things. We haven't spoken very much about uh, the corporate uh, world you know, there is the business of education in addition to education. And I think there are huge benefits on the business of uh, education. So administrators traveling to central office for a meeting, really, no. Uh, Try to have as many of those 
meetings remotely as possible. I'm not saying get rid of all of the in-person meetings because they're absolutely required for certain things and including sort of team building uh, activities and sharing. Um, but you can save time, frustration and cost by remote. Mm-hmm. On the, 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 the sort of um, business side of things, I think we're entering kind of a new era where maybe the needs of individuals, uh, you know, I sort of hesitate to call them workers, but that is what you uh, read in, in the literature, but people have lives. And I think that uh, in the past, pre-pandemic, it's like, hey, uh, you're, make your personal life work, but your focus during you know, eight to five, that is, that is work. And certainly accommodations could be made for deliveries and repairs and things. And now that people have experienced the positiveness of being able to concentrate at home in a quiet environment or where they have more time just available for their family or even having lunch uh, with uh, their families as I uh, have experienced with the older uh, people that my husband and I have uh, in our household. You know, it's um, an odd thing, but people are looking at that saying, I'm not sure I want to give that up because it's been a very positive experience. So at Nareva, we have a little expression where we say making work work for everyone, not just for the company, Mm -hmm. but for individuals. And that really is in recognition that there are a lot of pressing demands on people. And if working from home, set period of time, or in the case of some of the people that we've hired as full-time remote workers, if that can work, then okay, I think we've got a new way of working. Absolutely. So many positives and and thinking about what is the essence that we want to get out of it and being able to really pick and choose so that we can make work and life optimally effective and enjoyable. So there's a, there's a lot we can learn from it. That's, that's really great. So as the co-founder and the leader of two innovative learning and collaboration companies, what do you see as the future of learning technologies? Oh, boy, that's a big uh, question. Um, what I would say is um, t- time moves a lot uh, slower uh, than you might think that it does. And embedding uh, technologies really isn't something where you just rush in with no experimentation, no validation uh, through research. So I think that um, we're going to see the adoption of uh, certain technologies evolve. So I know uh, way back uh, when the idea for the smart board first emerged, and it's hard to say the time frame because it was so long ago uh, now, 1986, so it's uh, when my husband first had the idea for uh, the smart board. And it's just now that it's reaching at scale, uh, some of the uh, countries around the world and, uh, you know, in North America and in uh, Western Europe, it's, you know, on the second and third iteration in, um, in many different classrooms. So things stay around a lot longer uh, than you would think. 
new things come into, I'd say, extended uh, use a little slower uh, than you might think. So I think over the next number of years, there's going to be experimentation and uh, research into the values of certain uh, ways of uh, teaching and learning. You know, there are, we haven't spoken about this at all because it's not related to the the kind of uh, product offering uh, that we have. But, you know, a lot of people advocate their own asynchronous learning by students where they do series of projects um, online, they access resources online. And so how do you manage and integrate synchronous, asynchronous, online resources with live, student collaboration, all of these things. So there's a richness of areas for these experiments and uh, and research to be undertaken. It's absolutely true. And thinking that through is so important, thinking it through where you want to go with it, because no technology will solve a problem unless you've thought it through in your own context and in your own practices. Mm-hmm. It's important for us, as you said, to recognize how we work as humans in order to be able to integrate technologies well into into that work and into that learning. Has there been anything that surprised you in the way that we collaborate and and learn? Yeah, there sure has. Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, what surprises me almost uh, daily uh, is the lack of direction and support in corporations for uh, tool sets to be used for uh, certain activities. It's almost, hey, do what you think best. Or, you know, they've got a certain level of uh, methodology, but it's not as diffused and um, it's it's not as uh, integral as maybe I think that it could or should be. I've had the experience recently of interacting with a European company, very large, I won't uh, name them, but they've got a whole team of people researching the tools that they are deploying on a a broad uh, basis. Now, this is a multi-billion euro a year uh, business uh, world leader. And that team is saying, hey, for this particular kind of activity, use this tool set. And they're trying to teach people ways of thinking, ways of solving problems, ways of uh, doing things, and not to uh, control so much as to assist and shortcut. And why does everybody have to learn everything from scratch? you know, we can uh, support and assist you. And uh, I found that very refreshing, very enlightening. And I really think there's a lot to it and the way that we all should be collaborating in the future. We definitely need more of that. Absolutely. Before we end, I wanted to ask you, you've been in educational technology for many years. You and your husband have been innovators, business leaders, and leading to very, very successful educational technology companies. So looking back, what do you wish you had known at the beginning that you learned along the way? Wow, that's a big, 
question. Um, I wish that I had had a future uh, view to the uh, breadth and depth of adoption of our products that uh, we created. It was only after sort of 15 or 20 years that we looked back and said, wow, this has gone well. You know, it, it was a very stressful uh, time to create a brand new product category, the interactive uh, whiteboard. Yes. And the stress came in the lack of early market adoption, the near uh, bankruptcy that we found ourselves teetering on for a protracted uh, period of time. I wish that I had uh, just sensed that everything would kind of work out, that we ha would have three or four incredibly hard and bad years, but then bit by bit it would come out of that because I, I think I probably worried a bit too much, but you know, it, it made us uh, sharp. It made us very interested to hear from customers. We took what they told us, interpreted it, and and put it into uh, the product. So, you know, I, I wish I'd had more of the trust uh, in the future, work hard, and things are going to turn out. That's really good advice. It's really good advice for anyone who's innovating and creating something new because smart technologies completely changed what a blackboard was, which has been around for such an incredibly long time. And to expect that kind of challenge and difficulty is a really good advice for people when they're doing something very new. So thank you very much, Nancy. Before we end, I like to close every interview by asking for a recommendation, something to read or watch that inspires you or that, or that you would recommend to people on this topic. Gosh, uh, you know, I, I, I just read everything that I can. I start my day out uh, by reading. I try to pack two to three hours a day in. And I have to say that I gravitate to a lot of article titles that um, maybe are a little bit challenging to the, the status quo uh, of what I might think. So that's why I bring up a lot of these negatives on hybrid, because I think they're important to learn from uh, the negatives. I've, I've read about uh, the challenges, and I think that's what kind of keeps me sharp. So reading not just Canadian or American perspectives, but European and other perspectives as well. Everybody has a little uh, something different to offer, and I value it all. Thank you. That's that's fantastic. Very important, once again, for innovation, isn't it, to to read all sides of a story and delve into different topics. So that's thank you very much. Well, Nancy, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to hear about your work and the amazing uh, new technologies that are coming out in enabling us to all hear better and interact and collaborate a lot better and learn better in these spaces. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me.